was like, this is like, my buddy Eli, who's with me, is like an EMT, so he was just like ready to help. Uh, but man, you guys are awesome. Uh, what are some things you did at free time today? Just yell them out. Volleyball. Volleyball. Awesome. Swim. Uh, kayaking. Let's go. All right. All right. All right. One thing I love about camp is that it is just an absolute blast. And I hope that we can continue walking with each other in this process of why we're all here, of not only to have fun, but to grow in our walk with the Lord. So as you have your Bibles, open them up to Daniel chapter 1. And if there's a music stand I could snag, that would be great. Perfect. Um, So Daniel chapter 1, and as you're turning there, I kind of want to share a little story for you to kind of frame the context and where we're going this evening. So my parents and my whole family, thanks you, everyone give it up for Eli, what a stud. Not only does he save lives in an ambulance, he delivers mic stands to a home near you. So if you need one, he's got you. Um, But my, my whole family are avid basketball fans. So I grew up, my dad played basketball growing up. I grew up playing basketball in high school and a little bit in college. And so we absolutely love basketball. And this started way before I was born. My parents were huge NBA fans. Actually, their team was just some little podunk team called the Boston Celtics. Got them. Got them. So, but they were, they were Celtics fans back in like the days of Larry Bird, right? Like they were, they're OG. And so, but the problem was... My parents, as fans of the team from Boston, uh, lived in Southern California. And so I remember my parents would tell me this story like, yeah, it was going to be our first NBA game. We're going to a Boston Celtic Laker game, right? Like the ultimate rival with Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, these two teams pitted against each other as the universe would have it. And so my parents go and they're rocking their Boston green like they're ready and they pull up to the forum ready to have like the best time ever and they get out of the car and they're like, no one else is wearing green. We stand out like a sore thumb. Everyone else is in purple and gold cheering on the Lakers. And my dad's like, this is not going to be good. And my mom's like, who cares? Let's get them, you know. And uh, they go into the forum and they sit in their seats and they're just surrounded by Laker fans, which for me is like the worst possible place you can be, right? And so sitting in this sea of Laker fans, like literally my parents were like the nicest two people to ever exist are getting like death threats. They're like, take the Larry Bird jersey off or get out, like just going after him. And my dad's like, okay. My mom's like, no, we're staying right where we are. And like they stayed the whole game, cheered on the Celtics at the top of their lungs and to their chagrin, Boston won. And then everyone just wanted to kill them all the more. So they got in car and they left. Now in this process, in this story, very much like Daniel in this day and age, he is wearing the jersey of his heavenly father. He rolls up to Babylon wearing the colors of his God when he is absolutely surrounded by the colors that are representing other gods in a different culture. We even see it in the movie. They show up wearing sailor's gear and everyone else is wearing trash, just like Laker fans. But we get to see, sorry Laker fans, Come on, you guys are East Coasters. Come on now. But in this process, what does it look like for you and me to watch how Daniel is able to walk in what we're going to call tonight and what is called in our Bibles the fear of the Lord? And what does that exactly mean and look like? So let's start our time together by reading the word in Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. It says this. 
Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, what a name. Uh, don't name your kids that. Ashpenaz, not a, it's not in. Uh, but in the chief of his officials to bring some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and the nobles, youths in whom there was no defect, who were good looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom. I want to stop there for a second. I don't want it to like get it twisted in our minds that Daniel, Hananiah, uh, Mishael, and Azariah, their Hebrew names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were like these older guys who had figured it out, they had gotten the education, like they're good, they have seen a lot of life. These four individuals were between the ages of 13 and 17 years old. They were students, like you, in the midst of what they're going through. It's not like they're going, oh yeah, we can rely on years of past experience or or past uh, situations that they've been able to walk through. They're, they're, They're us in this room. They're you. And friends, I want you to understand something. Look at me. God wants to use you exactly where you're at right now. In fearing him, he wants to use you to impact your schools, to impact your families, to impact your neighborhoods. See, standing resiliently for God in the midst of a culture that's hostile towards him is not just for your sake, but as you do, you impact the communities you do it in. Friends, he wants to use you. Hear that this week, that he sees you and he knows you and he wants to use you. As Paul would tell Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because of your age. So let's keep reading as Daniel and his friends look to make this impact on Babylon. It says this, the king appointed for them a daily ration of the king's choice food from wine, which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated for three years, at the end of which they should enter the king's personal service. Now among them were the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them, and to Daniel he named him Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So Daniel and his friends undergo kind of four specific shifts as the Babylonians are trying to assimilate Daniel and his friends to their culture in order for them to forget who they are and where they have come from. And what are those four changes? Well, one, they they teach them their language of Akkadian or Arabic, so they would forget the language of their fathers. And in a sense, hopefully they would forget their own history. And then two, they require them to go through a three-year education, kind of like this brainwashing process to force upon them the ideologies or the ways of thinking that the Babylonians did. Not only did they do that, but they changed their names in a hope that by changing their names, they would begin to question their very identity. Again, as we looked at this morning, that their identity as people of Judah are the sons and daughters of God. And by changing their name, they're trying to get these four friends to forget that altogether. So you look at the name Daniel, which meant God is my judge. They actually changed his name to Belshazzar, which means lady protect the king. It was a name designed to insult Daniel. Then you look at Hananiah, which meant Yahweh has been gracious. So the God of Judah has been gracious. And they change his name to Shadrach, which means I am fearful, meaning I'm fearful of the gods of Babylon. Then you had Mishael, which is who is and what is God. It's like this stand of like, 
Who is God? He is in awe of who he is. And they changed his name to Meshach, which means I am despised and contemptible. And then Azariah, his name meant Yahweh has helped. But they changed his name to Abednego, which means servant of Nebo, one of their gods. So he went from being uh, someone who would help Yahweh to now someone who would help a pagan god. And yet in all three of these, the one that really kind of crossed the line, as intense as those were, only one really challenged what it actually meant to follow with God. Daniel and his three friends were going, okay, you can change my name. I'm still going to remain faithful to God. I'll learn your language. Awesome. So that way I can talk to you in your language about the things of God. You can change these things, but it's not going to matter. I'm actually going to use them in a way to impact you. But one in particular was actually going to cost them their own integrity or right standing with God, and that is a change of their diet. So what's the big deal with food anyways? Well, we see in the law of God, the law that they held so dear, this covenant relationship-keeping law that they had made with God, that in Exodus 15, that it asks that the people of God would not eat meat or drink wine that has been sacrificed to idols. And so you can bet that this food that was on the king's table before it got there was sacrificed to Marduk, to Nebo, to to Ishtar, the gods of the Babylonians. And God made it very clear, don't eat this food. It is unclean because it isn't offered to me. And so Daniel and his friends go, whoa, whoa, this diet change actually compromises our stance before the Lord. And so what is Daniel's response? Because he couldn't allow himself to be defiled by this food, nor towards his friends. So what is his response to this hostility, this attack against his faith? Look at chapter 1, verse 8. It says this, But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials to not defile himself. Daniel, even before this moment, already made up in his mind, already decided no matter what comes down the pipe, no matter what edict, no matter what law, no matter what action, anything that comes at me that is against God and the law of God, I've already decided the answer is going to be no. And even as I began studying, even he made up in his mind is actually kind of this also pseudo word of even heart. Like the very fullness of Daniel made the decision that I am for God and God alone. He, in, in, in this, we see what it really means to fear God and not man. So what does this mean to fear God? This fear means a deep and unshakable reverence or honor for the Lord. And in that, that reverence and honor produces steadfastness and obedience. This fear that says, even if I can't trace what's going on, even if I can't quite understand my circumstances, I'm still going to choose to trust the Lord. Let me say it again. Fearing God is put on display in the midst where you can't trace your circumstances, you then choose to trust the Lord. I want to give an example of this. How many of you are going on the ropes course this week? 
Come on, my homies. I love ropes courses. So in this process, right, you're like, they decide to do what no human was ever designed to do, which is get like 40 feet up in a tree. If God wanted me to do that, I would have wings, friends. But in this process, you get up there, and I don't know about you, like the first time I got in a ropes course, I was like scared out of my mind. I'm like, you want me to step on that skinny cable and walk to that tree? Yeah, fat chance, right? I belong on the ground. God gave me legs, not wings, right? But what do they give you? They give you a harness, and they're asking you, trust in the harness and the cable that holds you. Yes, I know it's scary. I know the circumstance seems a little crazy as you're going to take a step of faith out on that cable, but you're choosing in that moment to say, you know what? I'm going to trust the harness to hold me as I take that step of faith, and what happens? You're caught in the harness. And you're there safe and free, even when the distance to the next platform looks long and the circumstances seem maybe unclear. We trust and we sit in the goodness of God and we watch his faithfulness on full display. Just as a harness, you sit in it and it holds you as you walk in fear of the Lord, even when our circumstances around us seem like a 40-foot drop. We're going to go, you know what, God, I trust that you are going to hold me. So how could Daniel, how do we even again continue with his harness illustration, how do I know that that harness is going to hold me? Well, man, I, I spend time in the trees. I sit in the harness to the point where just the characteristic of the harness I know is going to hold me in the same way Daniel knew this about God because he spent time with God. He could fear God because he knew who God was. He knew God was merciful and gracious. He knew God was steadfast. He knew God was full of justice, yet full of mercy. And friends, these aren't things that Daniel just simply believed up in the air that he hoped were true about God. No, no, no. God declared this about himself. See, Daniel had memorized the book of Exodus, and he knew that in Exodus 34, verse 6, God declared this about himself to the people of Israel. It says, for I am steadfast in love, gracious, abounding in loving kindness, and I am merciful. Friends, when we can't trace the circumstances around us, we can trust God for he is trustworthy. It's just who he is. God in himself is trust, is faithfulness. Now I want us to also grasp something that Daniel and his four friends were not the only people from the tribe of Judah that were captured. There were many young students who were also taken. And imagine this, you're Daniel, you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you're watching people, friends you grew up with, and they're like, really cool that you made up your mind, but I'm deeply scared of dying by the Babylonians, so you know what? I'm pounding the Happy Meal, right? Like, I'm doing it. And so Daniel and his friends watch even as their own friends around them compromise their faith. But to them... It wasn't about pleasing people. For them, the most important thing was honoring God and putting him on display. Even in a moment where it didn't make sense, even in a moment where culture was against them, even their own friends were following along with the status quo of the culture, God, uh, the people remained, Daniel's friends remained faithful. Can you relate? How many of you have friends, maybe even family, who don't understand the things of God? who think the things of God are dumb or outdated and you feel kind of on an island. Yeah, 
Me too. Me too. What we look at this morning, who's with you? The Lord. Who's in control? The Lord. Who sees you? The Lord. Who empowers you? The Lord. So even in the midst of intense hostility and persecution, we can trust his presence and his strength. And we see that God shows up for Daniel. The next verse, it says, Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the eyes of the commander. So Daniel comes to him and goes, Hey, would it be okay, instead of like eating the Big Mac, pounding the cheese pizza and the milkshake, although I have a huge heart for milkshakes, they are a gift from the Lord, but anyways, like instead of doing that, we want a diet uh, of vegetables. Like we want a healthy diet. And the, their guard is like, I don't think that's a good idea. If you're not weak and as strong as everybody else, not only will they kill you, they'll kill me. And he begins to freak out. And Daniel's, whoa, hold the phone, pause, just trust me. I serve a God who's bigger than this. And then sure enough, they put him on this 10-day diet plan. Okay, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, here's your broccoli, here's your vegetables. And they go through this 10-day process. And then they examine Daniel and his friends compared to everyone else. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are straight up yoked. Like they are fit, they're killing it, and then they look at their friends, and their friends are like dying, like vomiting on the ground. They're so unhealthy. And then this more like, okay, truly, your God and what you're doing is indeed right. And they are seen, and their, their relationship with God is not compromised. And even the Babylonians are standing in awe of like, how is this possible? So I ask, how the heck were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego able, in the midst of a potential life and death situation, able to remain firm in fearing the Lord? It's because, friends, they rooted themselves in a firm foundation of knowing God and His Word. We root ourselves in the fear of the Lord by knowing him and planting ourselves firmly in his word. Scripture tells us that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And Jesus attests to this in Matthew 7. He gives this analogy. It says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, may he be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house. Yet it did not fall for it had been built on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will stand firm. Friends, are you rooted in the word of God? Do you know who he is? Not about him. Do you spend time with him? Do you know who he is? That's how Daniel and his friends were able to remain rooted in confidence in God because they knew who he was. And in being rooted in his word, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were transformed from the inside out. From being mere boys to children of God who could remain confident in the truths of God. And they were transformed by it. And the book of Romans promises you that. That when you spend time in his word, in the presence of him, you will be transformed. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable 
And that transformation happens by the power of God in our lives when we go to him and we root ourselves in his word and in prayer. And friends, this happens when we do it again and again and again. This transformation happens through repetition. I'm going to say it again. That transformation happens through repetition. Let me give you another example. How, where, where are my sports people at? Who plays sports? Okay, a lot of you. Now, let me ask. When you first started playing your sport, were you like ready to go to the league? Like, were you like, you know what, sign me up, I'm all pro? No. Or where, where are my theater people at? Okay, you are the real MVPs, right? Like, but you, yeah, whatever. Uh, but in this process, like, you weren't just good at memorizing lines right off the bat. You had to learn that. And you had to go to it again and again and again and again to what? It almost became second nature to you. I remember growing up playing basketball, like I would set out cones in the front of my house and I would drill myself for hours to the point of when I got in a game, things just happened naturally because I spent time in that practice again and again and again. And the same is with our time in God's word. The more you spend in it, the more it's going to come to your mind. The more you spend time reading it, the more, as scripture says, it gets imprinted on your heart. The more you spend time with God and his word, when trial comes, because look at me, it will come. It's not if, it's when. And so by spending time and rooting yourself in his word, all those things that you learn come to the forefront of your mind, and you're able to realize God is trustworthy, and he has a purpose. Now also with this, I also want us to understand by spending time in God's word, look at me, God doesn't love you any more than he already does. By you reading your Bible, God's not going, sweet, you get a gold star on my heavily refrigerator, which doesn't exist, by the way. Like, you don't get brownie points with God for spending time with him. But actually, you get God's love imprinted on your heart in the process. He already loves you. In Jesus Christ, you are fully loved, fully forgiven, fully known, and fully accepted in Jesus. So we don't spend time in the word or in his presence to earn God's favor in Jesus, we can already earn that through his effort, not ours. But in the process of spending time with him, his love then gets imprinted in us, and we don't want to be around anything else than his love. Okay? It's not uh, something we do to earn God's love. It's because of God's love. And again, we, we begin to practice this, not, okay, shoot, I'm in the middle of a hard time, there I'm gonna go, therefore I'm going to go to God's word. We do it before it happens, in the midst of it happening, and after it happens. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 13. Listen to this. It says, do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks. Friends, we root ourselves in the word and who God is in times that are really great. We root ourselves in God's word when we don't really know what's going on. And we root ourselves in God's word in times where things are hitting the fan. Because in that process, in that repetition, in that rooting ourselves in the truth of his word, it is there that Jesus promises we will stand firm. And by doing that, therefore, we can stand resilient in a culture that is hostile towards God. That's how Daniel was able to do it. And guess what? He was able to do it in loving kindness. Daniel doesn't like try to cancel Babylon in 120 characters on papyrus, right? Doesn't go to Twitter if they had a thing. 
He doesn't go up to the guards and say, how could you? How dare you? You don't know what you're doing. He doesn't disrespect them. He doesn't attack them. You know what's interesting? He actually asks permission. He goes, would it be okay if we simply just didn't do that and we did something else? And by doing so, even standing in resilience, Daniel is able to put the love of God on display. So friends, I understand the conflict is very real, but that conflict doesn't get resolved by you saying it's me versus you. <laughs> it's saying, you know what, I want to represent God. And in my resilience, I want you to experience the love of the Father. So what does that look like for you as you root yourself in who Jesus is and in his character and in his word that when you do stand resiliently, you're not being a jerk for Jesus. <laughs> we don't need any more of those but you're being a humble, kind, yet bold presence, standing as an example. So when other people see you go, there's something different about that. Because we live in a culture that wants to attack each other, but that person was able to stand firm in what they knew to be true, all the while making that person feel seen, loved, and known. Friends, you can have an impact where you're at by rooting yourselves in who God's word, in God's word and standing resiliently. Daniel doesn't shame his oppressors, nor does he attack them. He simply models God's love to them. Daniel was in a culture that was heatedly against him. And yet in knowing his Bible, in knowing his God, he was able to stand resiliently in this culture. And not only that, he was able to represent God well in the process. When you're in the midst of trial, where do you turn? What's your go-to? When you're in a time of peace, what do you go to? What roots you? When you're in a time of unknown, what do you run to? My hope is that would be God in his presence. Now, friends, I want to be honest with you, and I want to be vulnerable. Fearing God is super hard for me. Here's what I mean by that. I deeply struggle with people-pleasing. I deeply struggle with fearing people and their opinions of me. That's something I have to surrender this to the Lord every single day. Fearing God and being in his word isn't like a one-day decision that I simply move on from. It's daily when I wake up coming before the Lord going, God, I will give in to fearing man, but I'm going to choose to surrender to you today and I'm gonna root myself in your word. Guys, fearing God is a daily practice. And I hope that you would see as we've witnessed in Daniel's life, it is a daily practice that can change eternities. It is a daily practice that can root you in the things of life. It's the daily practice that can allow you to stand resilient in a crooked and depraved generation. So as I talk about this, I'm also kind of talking to myself and reminding myself, Matt, what would it look like for you to surrender to God and believe that his way is better? So as we close, I just want to leave you with a few questions to process. Are there things in your life that make it difficult to have this kind of response that Daniel did? And what are those things? And what decisions can you make here at camp? What are the areas? Think about it. We all have them. What are the areas in your life where you find yourself consistently and constantly giving into peer pressure 
or giving in to fearing people's opinions. I have them in my life. I hope I'm not alone. And what would it look like for us to just simply be honest about them? To bring them out into the light and go, this is an area where I need to be rooted in the Lord. Because friends, I have so many areas that I need to remind myself daily that God is on the throne and people are not. That God is on the throne and not Nebuchadnezzar. But God holds all things in his hand and he is trustworthy and he is faithful. Even when I can't trace my circumstances, I can trust God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you're good. God, I thank you for the time you've given me and my friends to talk through what it means to fear you, to be in awe and reverence of you. God, may we be so in love with you that our desires for anything else fades away. Father, I pray that you would teach us daily what it means to put you on the throne of our lives. God, by your spirit, can you grant in our hearts a powerful desire to root ourselves in your word, to know your word, to be consistently in your word, to value your word. In the process, we get to discover that you truly are trustworthy, that you are God, that you see us, you know us, and you love us, and you hold all things in your hand. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.